I don't think there's anyone who's a child of God who would not testify to the fact that when they got into a deep distress and called upon the Lord, not only that he heard their cries, but he answered. Many people right here and right around the world would testify to this fact that no matter where you are, what you have done, when you turn to the Lord in repentance, He will answer your prayer. But I know there are some people who, in their zeal to get out of their desperate situation, they make all kinds of promises to God. Something you need to be very careful about before you do. They make promise to the Lord. They promise the Lord they will change certain things in their life, and they will do this, and they'll do that. If only God will get them out of this jam. You know, one of the most common promises that uh, at least I'm aware of, as uh, people make, is when they get into a financial trouble. When people get into a financial jam, they always promise the Lord all kinds of things. I mean, they often say, Lord, if you just get me out of this mess, I will be the greatest steward that ever walked on the face of the earth. Lord, I will triple tithe. I will, I will give everything to the kingdom. I'll give everything to your cause. Well, <laughs> the thing is that God often answers prayer. And in some cases, not all cases, thank God. But in some cases, as soon as the prayer is answered, those particular individuals get hit with a severe case of amnesia. I mean, they have forgotten everything they said. Here's what I want to tell you. What they really forget is that God cannot be mocked. What they really forget is that God never forgets. Oh yes, God is patient and He waits. But His patience was designed from the very beginning in order to propel you to fulfill your vow unto the Lord, in order to fulfill the promise that you made to God. Not that He is indifferent or He has forgotten about your promise. Jonah, in fact, is a case in point. In the belly of the whale, Jonah cried to the Lord. In the belly of the great fish, he repented. From the abyss, Jonah confessed to the Lord his disobedience. From the dark, watery tomb, he promised to obey the Lord. And yes, he did obey. Sure, reluctantly, as we're going to see later on. Sure, begrudgingly, but he obeyed nonetheless. You know, people say, well, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, right? And I know where they're going as soon as they ask that question. <laughs> well, since I'm not cheerful there, I should not give. Give anyway. <laughs> I don't care if you have a miserable attitude, give anyway. With your reluctance and your misery attitude, give. Because God is faithful to His promise. And He will bless you accordingly. There are many people, when they get desperate, they will say anything. <laughs> there are some people, when they get desperate, they try to use God through prayer to serve their will instead of trusting Him and giving Him absolute and ultimate control of their lives, which is what God is waiting for. 
Jonah's prayer is an example of how God always answers the prayer of a repentant Christian. God always will. The Lord did not only hear Jonah's cry of despair, but the Lord answered it. I'll tell you what this says to me about God. That regardless of my motive, that regardless of my past unfaithfulness, that regardless of my intentions, God never wants you or me to give up hope and prayer. God never wants us to despair, only pray. When I think about despair, and I was thinking about this throughout the week, I thought of the passenger on a ship that was crossing the Atlantic. And this particular voyage was really long, and it was rough. I mean, probably one of the roughest trips that the crew has ever experienced. And, uh, and as the ship kind of bobbing up and down in the water, one of the passengers was leaning over the rails of the ocean liner, turning into several shades of bilious green. And, and right at that moment, a steward was walking by, and he's trying to encourage him. And, and he just said to him, he said, no. He said, don't get discouraged, sir. No one ever died of seasickness yet. And the nauseated passenger just looked up to the steward with kind of baleful eyes. He said to him, he said, oh, don't say that. It's only the hope of dying that's kept me alive for so long. (laughs) I think some of us understand the feeling. Jonah was never abandoned by the Lord. Although in verse 4 of chapter 2 he said so. He was never abandoned by the Lord. So what he's saying, he felt that he was abandoned by the Lord. Some of us, when we are in our depths of despair, we feel that we've been abandoned by the Lord. But the Lord never, never, never abandons us. As we saw in the last message, God never, never, never dumps his children. I want to tell you at the outset, there are many people who become so obsessed with what was going on inside the belly of the whale or the great fish that God sent, that they really miss out on knowing and understanding and learning from what was going on inside of Jonah. Don't make that mistake. Now, skeptics for years have been said all kinds of things about this story. They said, well, it is not a real incident. It never really happened. It was an allegorical thing. Well, of course, until... Um, they discovered the sperm whale whose mouth is 15 feet high and 9 feet wide. And then they kept the mouth shut. (laughs) But I'm not going to waste uh, time because I want to tell you something. If you do not believe in the supernatural, all the proofs in the world ain't going to help you. So I'm just going to pass you by. I hope you listen to the rest of the message. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ, who created the world, through him the world was created, for him the world was created, he was there before the foundation of the earth. When he was in human form, he likened himself to Jonah in some way. He talked about the three days that he's going to be in the tomb, just like the three days that Jesus knew he ought to know he was there. That makes it easy for me. 
It did happen. (laughs) In many ways, there is a contrast between Jonah and Jesus, a contrast of sorts. (laughs) You know, Jonah disobeyed the word of God when it came to him. Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of the Father. Jonah did not love people. The Lord Jesus Christ loved them even unto death. Jonah suffered for his own sins. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered for your sins and mine. Jonah was buried for three days to atone for his own sin. The Lord Jesus Christ was buried for three days to atone for the sins of all those who repent and turn to him. Jonah experienced a resurrection of sorts when he was spat on the beach. In order that he may witness and preach the gospel of the Lord that he sent him to preach to Nineveh. And the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead in order that all those who believe in him will be saved. Now mind you, I know there's a temptation, even for me, to try to kind of imagine what really happened inside that thing. You know, I mean, inside that creature. I know, and you know, there couldn't be much of a, you know, a luxury suite at the Ritz. I mean, they were were rough three days. I mean, he could not get a lot of air. Every now and again, he will catch a breath, you know, as this thing goes up and down and up and down. And and the temperature, I'm told, inside would have been between 104 and 108. I mean, that beats any hot tub you've ever been in. Gets close to gastric juices. (laughs) That does wonder for your skin tone. (laughs) It bleaches it. And if he was able to eat anything, it was all sushi. <laughs> Man, to say nothing of, the, of this acrobatic exercise that he was going through, you know. I mean, talk about three days of great diet. But again, I just don't want to concentrate on that. Satisfy the temptation just for a little bit. I want you to think with me about what's going on inside of Jonah. Because that's really what matters. Let's look carefully at the prayer that he prayed in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. I want to tell you, this is truly a model prayer. Mark it in your Bibles. It is a model prayer for every repentant Christian who have become repentant and really turns to the Lord in a genuine way who cease to be disobedient, who cease to be rebellious, who cease to be seeking after his own life and his own self and his own desires. Here we're going to see that in spite of the fact that Jonah forsook the Lord, the Lord never forsaken him. We're going to see in this prayer how Jonah experienced the presence of God even in the depth of the watery grave. And I want you to look at that prayer very carefully. Those of you who are taking notes... I'm going to give you four characteristics of this prayer. And they all start with the letter P, just to help you out, so you can remember them. First, it was a probing prayer. Secondly, it was a penitent prayer. Thirdly, it was a praising prayer. And fourthly, it was a prayer of promise. Probing, penitent, praising, and promise. Look at verses 2 to 6 of chapter 2. Jonah begins with an honest probing. That's the first step. You cannot go to second base until you touch first base. 
And that's first base, is to be honest in probing of your life. That's why the scripture says, examine yourself, examine yourself, examine yourself. You've got to be honest in probing the reasons why where you are. But there's something very important about the Hebrew language. I'm not going to give you a lesson in linguistics. Don't worry. Some of you already glazed over. But... But it's very important for you to understand what I'm going to tell you because not only going to help you understand this passage, it's going to help you understand the whole language of the Bible. It's of vital importance. I see some of those folks who really have no idea and they just read their English Bible and they come up into error because they do not understand what the Scripture means. In the Hebrew language, when they say God did it, it is not the way... We mean in modern English as we use the language of blaming God. (laughs) Not the same. They believe that God is so sovereign, that He is in total control, that even the consequences of our rebellion, even the consequences of our disobedience is His doing. And that's the language they use. This is how they refer to it. Do you remember when the Bible said that there was an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, King Saul. How many of you remember that incident? And you got stumbled over that. And you said, well, how in the world God is sitting up in heaven sending down evil spirits? Well, you've got to understand the language. <laughs> Unless you understand the language and the way Hebrews think and the way they're writing it, you'll miss the whole point. And I can tell you, the heresies out there have sprung out because of the lack of understanding of the meaning of the Word of God. What does it mean for Saul? An evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Here's exactly what they mean. Every one of us have a spirit inside of us. If you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have an evil spirit inside of you. One of the two. And the people of God understood that whenever you grieve the Holy Spirit, whenever you quench the Holy Spirit, it is automatic an evil spirit comes in and takes its place. Jesus talks about this when he said a spirit leaves. And if the house is not filled, he's going to come back with seven others stronger than the other one. That's what they mean by this. So the spirit, God did not sit up in heaven and said, I'm sending an evil spirit. But because it's under the overall control of God, they said God sent it. In reality, it was the consequences of Saul's rejection of the Spirit of God. It is a consequence of Saul quenching the Spirit of God. It is a consequence of Saul says, I'm going to do it my way. Forget about Samuel. Forget about God. I'm going to do it my way. And because they believed so strongly that everything that happens is in accordance to the will of God and the plan of God, therefore they speak with such strong language that you must discern, you must understand in order to understand the Scripture. Some people have a problem with this kind of language. They really do because they do not understand what I just told you. And they say, well, how can God do this? How can God do that? How can God do the other thing? God can do anything He wants to. But that's not the issue. (laughs) That is the language of the Bible, and you must be able to discern it and understand it. So when Jonah said, God did this, he was not blaming God. He was not fixing blame. He was blaming himself. He was not accusing God of unfairness like we do. He was not maligning God like we do. That is not it. 
He was honestly praying, God, I know I got here all by all myself. I, I got here and I just got what was coming to me. Lord, I know that my sins brought me here. It is my disobedience that brought me here. Lord, I know that you are dealing with my disobedience. But notice something else that is of vital importance right there in this passage. Jonah did not try to explain his misery. (laughs) Jonah did not say, well, you know, the circumstances got me here. (laughs) Jonah did not say, all these rascals, these sailors, if they just didn't listen to me and did not throw me in here, I wouldn't be in this mess. Jonah did not say, you know what? The good old American way. If I hang in there and hang tough, this is going to pass. Now, now, do you know why? Because Jonah was done with techniques. He was done with rationalization. He was done with explanation. He is in desperate condition. And yet, his prayer began with honest probing. Secondly, he was... Penitent in his prayer. It was a penitent prayer. Now, penitence is an old English uh, word, means showing genuine repentance, showing genuine repentance from sin. Now, please hear me right on this one. This is a much higher level than just acknowledging your sin. This is a much higher level than just admitting it once you probe and you discover it. Why is this so important? The first step is okay, but it's useless without the second step. Listen carefully. The reason the second step is vitally important, because it is possible to be honest about your situation. It is possible for you to acknowledge your rebellion and your disobedience, especially if you get caught. (laughs) And yet, being unrepentant. And stay unrepentant. Let's take an example. A Christian woman who knows what the Word of God said about being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. She marries anyway. Later on, things really go sour. Things get rough. She may acknowledge that it was her disobedience to the Word of God that got her where she is now. But it's not really repentance. In fact, she may resent God for her situation. God, why did you do this? Have you ever heard people say that? Several years ago, it's been a number of years now, one man who was exactly in the same predicament, he married an unbeliever, he knew what he was doing, and then things were really going rough, and and then he was blaming God. I said, well, explain to me. I'm a poor country immigrant boy. I don't understand English too well. Just explain to me, how did God do this? How did God do it? Well, he said, he made me meet her. (laughs) He didn't stop me from marrying her. You know, I won't get into that. Sometimes I wonder, so what planet did I come from? (laughs) Jonah not only acknowledged, but he repented how? In two ways. Listen carefully, please. In two ways. Verse 8. It's one of the greatest verses in this whole book of Jonah. It really is. It was a magnificent verse. Listen to it. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Let me ask you something. Do you know 
and only in heaven probably will know how many graces that God had for you, but you have forfeited them because you're stuck on an idol in your life. What is an idol? An idol is anything or anyone who takes the rightful place of God in your life. And Jonah is saying that whenever a believer focuses on something or someone or themselves, anything other than the Lord, he or she plays themselves out of the mercy of God. So wait a minute. What are you talking about? How can anyone place themselves out of the mercy of God? A believer can choose to put himself outside of the mercy of God. Does it make God less merciful? No. Does it make God cease to be merciful? Absolutely not. If any of my children would come to me and say, Look, I want nothing to do with you. I want to be on my own. I don't want ever you to call me. I'm just going to live my way. What is it going to do to a father? Is it going to break my heart? Is it going to stop me from loving him? No. Is it going to stop me from being trying to do everything I can within my power to be there for them if they need? No. Just imagine a sinful human being like me in comparison to the holy, mighty God. He never ceases to be merciful, but we choose to place ourselves out of His mercy when we choose to live in disobedience. Secondly, Jonah's prayer was a penitent prayer because... He did not ask for anything. You notice? He did not ask for anything. I think had Jonah started bargaining with God like a good Middle Eastern does, I mean, if he started saying, well, God, get me out and I'll do this and God do this, I think we would have questioned his motive. But he never asked for anything. Jonah was genuinely sorry for his disobedience. And he was repentant. And this prayer is not only a probing prayer. It's not only a penitent prayer. It's also a praising prayer. Jonah's prayer was a prayer of thanksgiving. (laughs) Why praise and thanksgiving in the midst of this mess? (laughs) Why praise and thanksgiving in the midst of this misery? (laughs) I mean, you have to ask yourself, what prompted him to praise God in the midst of his desperate situation? Well, if you're looking for some physical reason, you're going to have a hard time finding one. But if you are looking for a spiritual reason, oh, you're going to find plenty. You're going to find plenty. Look at verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to the Lord. What's Jonah doing? Jonah was thankful for his salvation through the grace of God. Jonah was thankful for being able to call upon the name of the Lord again. Jonah was thankful that God turned him from being a rebellious, disobedient servant to a grateful person for the grace and the mercy of God. Jonah had no idea that he's going to be physically delivered. I want you to listen very carefully to this one. I want you to listen very carefully. Listen with your eyes, listen with your ears, listen with your minds, please. This is very important. He had no idea that he was going to be physically delivered from the misery that he was in. But when he began to thank God for God, that was the beginning of his physical deliverance. 
It's when you begin to thank God for God, when you go begin by praising God for who He is, when you begin to focus on God and bless His name for who He is, you have turned on the switch for the mechanism of faith to be delivered physically of whatever you're in. Please hear me right. It is only when you focus on the praising of God and His salvation. It's only when you focus on with thanksgiving to the Lord for His grace. It's only when you focus on the gift of eternal life. It's when you focus with thanksgiving to God for being who He is. At that point is the point of beginning of physical deliverance. Not only that this prayer was an honest, probing prayer. Not only that this prayer was a genuinely penitent prayer. Not only this prayer was praising and thanksgiving prayer. But fourthly, this prayer was a prayer with promise. Look at the second half of verse 9. I will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will pay. Years ago, a prominent preacher in this country preached a sermon entitled, Payday Someday. (laughs) Payday Someday. Might as well pay ahead of time. Save yourself a whole lot of trouble. Listen to what he says. Jonah says, deliverance belongs to the Lord. How is he going to offer sacrifice from the belly of the fish, the great fish, the whale, or whatever it was? Here's what he's saying. Listen carefully. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, never again will I approach you as I did before. Here's what he's saying. Lord, I will not approach you as a Jew who feels that he has a special privilege. But I will approach you as a sinner who needs your forgiveness. My very precious friends... I don't know where you are, but I know the burden that I'm carrying on my heart, and I had to deliver it. Please be forewarned. This could be the Lord's final warning to you, wherever you may be. And I want to tell you something is of uttermost importance. If you come to the Lord in your desperate situation and say, Lord, I have done this and this and this and this for you. Lord, I have given this, and I've given this up, and I've done this and the other thing for you. Lord, you really owe me an answer to this prayer because of what I've done for you. Now, I've got to tell you something. Listen carefully, please. This is important. If you do this, you will never make it to first base with God. You won't, really. If you approach God on your merits, you are a lost cause. For the Apostle Paul tells us it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. But if you come to him, acknowledging that you deserve nothing. And you place your faith in the one who willingly became your sacrifice. If you promise to serve him faithfully, 
until your life's end, then He will save you. He will bring you into experiences of His grace that you have never understood or experienced before. I know. I testify to the promises of God and the Word of God. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. Now, few people really know the miserable circumstances which led to the composition of this particular hymn that blessed hundreds of people, thousands of people. The writer, an Englishman by the name of William Cowper, he sunk into the depth of despair. It was a result of grief and disappointment. And and finally, in one of those foggy London nights, he, in a state of desperation, called for a horse-drawn carriage to take him to the London Bridge on the River Thames. Of course, he intended to commit suicide by jumping in the river. After driving around for two hours, the cabbie reluctantly turned to his passenger and he said, Sir, I hate to admit it, but I'm lost. Irritated and disgusted at the turn of events and the delay, Cowper left the courage and anger, and he was determined to find his way on foot. And as he came out, he took two, three steps, and he looked up, and he found himself in front of his own house. The cabbie has been going around in circles for two hours in the mist and the fog. Immediately he recognized the the restraining hand of the Lord in this providential turn of events. Convicted by the Holy Spirit, he realized that the way out of his trouble was not to throw himself off the London Bridge, but to trust in the Lord's mercy, to trust in the Lord's grace. And then he, like Jonah, like Jonah, he went into his Room committed him, recommitted himself to the Lord and promised to serve him faithfully for the rest of his life. One man whose stories we would never ever heard, the hymn we would never have ever had, but God used him in a mighty way because he decided to obey instead of fretting. Tears flowing. From his eyes, tears of gratitude, tears of thanksgiving, he penned these magnificent words which have strengthened thousands of people who are on the brink of despair. God can use you. Don't ever listen to your own voice or the voice of the devil. God can't use you. That's a lie. God can use you in ways you could not even imagine in your head. All he's waiting for is your obedience and your surrender. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.